Betty, I just want to leave you a little more room to doodle this morning. But uh, if you're new here, uh, you haven't been here in a while, extended vacation, you, you might not know that we are concentrating on a couple verses. Uh, we've been going through the book of Romans in the past year, and we have come to the transition from the first 11 chapters that are very theological to the last five chapters that are very practical. And it starts out with uh, Romans 12.1. And we've spent five weeks taking it phrase by phrase. So I'm sure the people that have been here have it memorized by now. So let's say it together. You ready? <laughs> Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And that wasn't bad. Pretty good. Today we're going to go on to verse 2. Making some progress. I think there's a number of ways that you can gauge what our culture is trying to teach us. And what our culture is currently fascinated with. The spirit of the age. You can uh, maybe look at the New York Times bestsellers. You can see what's playing at the local movie theater. Um, visit some of the more popular internet sites. But I think a quick way that you can get a good feeling for what our culture is currently obsessed with or thinking about and trying to get our attention with is just to go to the magazine rack. I'm not talking about those little ones at a convenience store. I'm talking like borders where like the whole huge wall is all magazines. And they've got magazines for every hobby, interest, occupation. Um, you know, they don't just have Sports Illustrated and ESPN. They've got like every sport and the fantasy sport of that sport and the, the trading card of that. I mean, there's just everything you can find. And so I went and I, I got a couple magazines this week just to see um, what our culture is trying to attract us with and, and trying to teach us. And so the first one is smart money. And we've got the five world of the world's greatest investors. Uh, Bill Gross is one of them. So I, you guys may be related. That would be nice. Um, but it's important that uh, we know how to invest and uh, get our money working for us. Um, this second one, I'm ashamed I even bought it, but it was only $1.89. So um, this is Celebrity Living Weekly. Okay? And it's not monthly, it's weekly. We can't wait that long to find out about Nick and Jess and Brad and Angelina and all that. And this is actually pretty sick. I like to look through it. And um, if you want to dress and put your eyeshadow or whatever and know where to shop and know where to stay and know how to eat like the stars. This is your ticket. I mean, you will know exactly how to live like a celebrity when you finish that. Uh, I haven't seen the movie yet that these guys are in, but uh, I thought, man, that's a picture of what our culture wants our men to be, isn't it? I mean, this is and this is not new. I mean, this looks like the Rat Pack, doesn't it? You know, swinging, fun, got a drink in the hand, good with the ladies. I think that's that's a pretty clear message to our men. 
And if that's not enough, that is. I mean, I, I doubled my steroid dose after I saw that. So, listen to this. Eight chest shock routines. Leg workouts, train till you puke. Sounds fun. Those are just a few examples, I think, of what our culture is trying to teach us. And yet today, the first phrase in Romans 12:2 is, do not be conformed to this world. There's a song by Cadman's Call out a few years ago. This world has nothing for me and this world has everything. All that I could want and nothing that I need. And I think that really captures for us kind of the tension of Christians living in the world. Uh, we get this kind of schizophrenia about how we interact. We, we love the world, but we, we shouldn't love the world. And the world could, you know, we're like Gollum, you know. It hates us. No, it loves us, you know. And, uh, but I want to see what dig in to what it looks like to not conform to this world. And I told the worship team earlier that this is going to be one of the most negative sermons you might have heard. Um, because I can't get to the next phrase. I don't want to steal anything from Dave Crenshaw, who's going to show us how to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I can't get to that. So we're going to stay negative today. And there's a couple ways uh, that this verse has been translated in uh, different Bibles, different commentators, that I think really bring out the flavor of what it, what it means. Do not conform yourselves to this age. I think uh, a lot of the commentators said that word world, don't conform to this world, is obviously not talking about the physical world, and it might not even be talking necessarily about the people in the world, but it's the age. The spirit of the age. And so I like that. Don't conform yourself to this age. And then it's, do not model yourselves on the behavior of the world around you. The Jerusalem. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That's a, that's a good image. Do not let the age in which you live force you into this, its scheme of thinking and behaving. And then a great one from the message, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And so, we're going to look, the title of the sermon is Handbook for the Nonconformist. What does it mean to be a nonconformist? Having been in youth ministry for nine-some years now, I've heard that phrase a lot. And, uh, I mean, even when I was in high school 15-some years ago, we, we thought we were all nonconformists. And it's big for teenagers to be nonconformists and alternative. And, and, you know, when I was into heavy metal, we were all nonconformists. But what was so funny was we all looked exactly the same. And we, we all conformed. We all had long hair and black T-shirts and did that all the time. And... <laughs> Then it, it just continues. I mean, you have the skaters and they're nonconformists outside of the mainstream, but they all look alike, right? And then you have all these different subcultures in, in high schools. 
John Rubin is a Christian rapper. And I'm not going to rap for you, but I'm going to read you the lyrics. What is it we don't get? Maybe that empty book bag your sport is a gimmick or the Timberland boots that have never been scuffed. You're, gonna, you're just like the rest of them. The only difference is you follow a less popular trend. Tell me how you're going to dog the mainstream. Then turn around and do the exact same thing that you're dissing. The same idea that uh, everybody thinks they're so different and yet they, we're just all looking for somebody, some group to conform to. Because we all want to fit in. It takes a rare teenager to really, truly be a nonconformist and not need some group to affirm their identity. And yet, Paul is calling us to true nonconformity today. A nonconformity that doesn't just worry about fashion trends and, and music and, and those kind of external things but rejecting the world and its ways of thinking. But before we get uh, too far into our discussion, um, I want to talk about kind of the spectrum of the ways that Christians relate to culture. There was a book that I had to read for seminary. I bet a lot of you have read it. It's called Christ and Culture. And it has kind of a, a spectrum of five models for how Christians have historically uh, dealt with being in the world. And I'm not going to go into it real deeply, but there were kind of two extremes in that book. And the one extreme is what Paul is warning us against, is being so molded to the world and so uh, fit in with the world that we're exactly like it, with Jesus and, and God a little sprinkled on. I'd say it's like a chameleon Christianity that that literally conforms to everyone else. But then the opposite uh, end of the spectrum is Christ against culture and the idea that, that Christians should totally remove themselves and abstain and not be in the world at all. And yet we've all heard that verse that says, be in the world, not of it. It's hard to be in the world when you've totally removed yourself and it it talks about the, the monasticism movement and, and uh, Christians that just feel like they can't be around non-Christian things. And I think that's an equal error. We don't want to go that far. And I can't really give you the uh, answer to that because Dave will give it to you next week. But as we get into uh, what to avoid... I would say we can't separate ourselves from the world for two reasons. The first reason is for the world's sake. We can't abandon the world because who's going to bring the good news to them? Yes, salvation is from God, but God has sent us out into the world, into our jobs, into our neighborhoods to bring the good news. You may be the only Christian that your neighbor or your coworker knows or will listen to. So we can't abandon them for their sake. But I think we also can't abandon them for our sake. Because I think there's a lot of truth in the world that we can learn from non-believers. There's a theological term called common grace that has been expounded on from Calvin to recent theologians. And 
It's the idea that God doesn't hold truth exclusively for Christians. Now, I would say that because we have revealed Scripture and the Holy Spirit inside of us, we have a better shot at understanding truth than someone that doesn't have that. But we can learn from unbelievers. I just watched the movie Hotel Rwanda. And that is not a Christian movie by any stretch. But I learned a lot about compassion, loyalty, and love in that movie. I think every adult should see that. It's a powerful movie. And that's why I can watch non-Christian movies and read non-Christian authors and have relationships with unbelievers. But the danger in coming to the world on its terms is that we don't bring our discernment. The danger is that we dive right in and accept what they have to say without sorting it out. Like the message said, we fit in without even thinking. And so as we come to these movies, as we come to these uh, non-Christian authors, and we bring a discerning mind that says, okay, I can agree with that, but no, that's clearly unbiblical. Because if we don't do that, we end up accepting what our culture has to sell us, don't we? We end up living exactly like our pagan neighbors, running after success and materialism and pleasure just as much as they are. When we're conformed to the world, I think at least two things happen. The two things I want to bring into focus is, number one, we, we trade eternal life and abundant life for fading, unfulfilling life. I mean, as believers, we've been given a glimpse of eternity. We've seen, I mean, I can barely read through Revelations chapter 20 without being overwhelmed at what heaven's going to be like. And we've seen the treasures of our Heavenly Father that He has for us. And yet, when we conform to the world, we trade them away for fool's gold. And we basically said to Jesus, what you have is not exciting or fulfilling enough. I'm going to go find other things that will fill me up. And I think think the second thing that happens when we conform so closely is that we turn our Christianity into what our current culture is like. And we give it the cultural values of the day. And this is happening, this has been happening for a long time. I mean, think of the ways that Jesus has been portrayed throughout the ages. I mean, you think back to the Renaissance painters who decided that Jesus was blonde and slightly effeminate looking and they started painting him just like them. He was a Renaissance guy, like them. And, uh, even up through today, we, I have a book from the 60s called Jesus the Revolutionary. You know, that kind of justified being a Christian hippie. And Jesus must have been countercultural, right? He was anti-authoritarian. We can, we like this revolutionary guy. You know, forget the fact that he submitted to his father's will perfectly. He's Jesus the revolutionary. 
And in the 80s and 90s, we have Jesus as CEO. Right? I've heard, I've heard Jesus' ministry explain he had this big circle of influence, and then he had a smaller one of 12, and then he had three that were close, and that's the best way to manage people. And our pastors should be CEOs, right? Just like Jesus. I remember seeing a, a, an ad or a bumper sticker. I think they came out with both. What would Jesus drive? And, uh, so apparently Jesus is an environmentalist. And maybe there's truth in all those things. But I think it's very easy to turn our Christianity, throw it on top of our culture, and come out with something I don't think Jesus would recognize. I thought I'd do a little exercise here to uh, look at some of the philosophies of our of our day. And this is like basic, basic philosophy. I've never even taken a philosophy class. I, I should have got some input from Dr. Bates, but I didn't. Um, but we'll keep it simple anyways, because that's always good. I thought we'd look at three philosophies. Humanism, the idea that man is the highest good. You know, there is no God, or if, if there is, he's kind of irrelevant. You need to save yourself. You are your own God. Right? Second one is materialism. Get as much as you can, as long as you can. Die with the most toys and you win. And then hedonism. Just run after pleasure. And I thought it'd be interesting to compare how each of these philosophies would look at a couple of situations and compare them to Christianity. Because I think it's very easy for us to step into these and have them influence our way of thinking. Um, Let me just give you two situations I'm dealing with in my life. The first one is having a baby. Is she back there? Oh, she's out in the hall. Got to go see my beautiful daughter afterward. Oh, there she is. In the door. So, let's see how each of these viewpoints would see having a baby or having children, raising children. I think the humanist may say something like this. A baby, I've heard that they fulfill you. They make your life richer. I certainly don't want to be old and alone and so I need somebody to take care of me later in life and Plus, it, it's great to be able to pass on my genes and have somebody survive me and, and my name. And, and I guess the look is what's in it for me. How are my kids going to meet my needs? How am I going to be a better human? The materialist might look at raising children and say, you know, my kids are going to have all the best stuff. They're going to go to the best schools and wear the best stuff and drive the best cars. Because then everybody will know I'm a good parent. And I'm an influential person. Plus I get a tax break, right? (laughs) The hedonist. Children? You want me to, why the heck would I want to have a baby? I'd have to stop partying. I'd have to sacrifice to have children. I don't want to do that. And then finally, how do we as believers see having children? Children are a gift from God to be loved, cherished, and brought up in the ways of the Lord. That's the original commandment to be fruitful and multiply. 
Because God wants us to bring covenant children into the world to influence the world and bring in those that will obey Him. That's a beautiful task we've been given. The second situation that uh, Kath and I are dealing with is, is new neighbors. And I don't know what it is, um, but we moved in a year ago and basically everybody around us left. <laughs> Literally right next to us on both sides have moved out across the street and right behind us. There goes the neighborhood. The doors are here, I guess. But we are dealing with new neighbors. Some who have made good first impressions with us and some who haven't. So, But how... Imagine we have a materialist, a humanist, and a hedonist, and a Christian all on the same street. And they're looking at this moving truck pulling in. And the humanist is sitting there going, hmm, I hope they don't bug me and play their music too loud. Ah, maybe we'll be friends if they're nice to me and I can trust them. What can I get from them? Right? The materialist. I hope they keep their house and their yard up. We don't want our property values going down. And I wonder if they'd be interested in a business opportunity. The hedonist. Well, I hope they don't call the police when the party gets too loud at my house. But how does a Christian look at the new neighbor? Hopefully we look at those people and say, I'll try to meet my neighbor's needs. I'll try to get to know them. I'll try to earn their trust and love them so that eventually I can share the love of Christ with them. Maybe they'll bring my property values down. Maybe they're rude, not good neighbors. But God's priorities is for us to love them and share the gospel with them. Not conforming to this world takes wisdom and discernment. You know the old question, how does a fish know if it's wet? I think that's a good metaphor for what our culture does to us. I've grown up in America and I can hardly separate who I am from kind of my American identity. And we're so engrossed in American culture, we don't know we're wet. We don't know. I mean, how do we separate what part of our lives have been influenced by a biblical worldview and versus what American culture has given us? And how do Christians in other cultures separate those out? I mean, every culture has its uh, values and lies that we unconsciously buy into. I remember praying with and for the, the Gribbons right before they left for Guatemala. And I just remember praying, God, as they leave our country, as they leave our culture, give them wisdom to see the lies that they bought into and the ways our cultures influence them. But also keep them from the lies of the Guatemalan culture. Because those are just as real. But when you think about the difference between our culture and many others, I mean, uh, we just accept that what we've been told as an American is the way life should be lived, right? We work real hard all week. We cram in meetings and 
and games and sports and plays and all these things. And then we get to the weekend. And we breathe a little and we go fishing or do stuff around the house, go to the beach. And then we start all over on Monday. Back into the rat race. And take your three weeks vacation. Don't talk about politics or religion and plight company. And spend a lot of money so the economy doesn't come down. That sounds really cynical, but our culture has so influenced the way we think. When we step outside it, it can be a shock. And so not conforming means we need to separate out what we just always assume is the way life should be. And get back to the biblical understanding. 1 Corinthians talks about and contrasts the wisdom of this world versus the wisdom but what the world sees as foolishness of the cross. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And that's really tough. Because I want to be considered an intelligent person. I don't want to be considered an idiot, a fool. And yet, that's exactly what we may look like to the world. And so, it takes wisdom. It takes discernment to understand when you're watching CNN or any expert, intelligent person to say, hey, that may be the world's wisdom. And some of that may be good truth. We need to look for God's wisdom. The second chapter in Corinthians says this, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Not conforming to this world takes courage. It takes more than wisdom and discernment. It takes courage. I think of some uh, examples of people who have not conformed to this world. Um, somebody I just recently, I didn't read the book, but I saw a book by Patricia Heaton, the, the wife on Everybody Loves Raymond. And she, did, she thanked uh, Tim Keller of Redeemed, uh, Redeemer Church in New York. Um, and I think Patricia Heaton has taken a bold stand in a tough place. She's in Hollywood, and yet she has proclaimed that she is a Christian, that she is pro-life. And I think she's taken a lot of flack for it. And yet she stands firm. Uh, one of my favorite athletes, and I, there are a ton of Christian athletes who are standing up for the Lord, but one that I made such an impression on me was A.C. Green, a basketball player that used to play for the Lakers, a number of different teams. But at the same time that Cal Ripken had his streak of uh, most consecutive games played, A.C. Green had his own streak. He was the oldest virgin in the NBA. Now that had to take some serious guts. I mean, you can imagine the jokes he had to put up with. I mean, with the NBA lifestyle. Yet he stood up. 
He had courage. Uh, my first year out of college, I worked for State Farm Insurance. And, and what we did was we went around and we measured people's properties and kind of looked at the specs on their house and so that State Farm could reappraise their property value. And um, So we went out in, in pairs. And the first week I was there, it was uh, mostly college age and 20-something. The first week I was there, I realized that nobody worked a full day among this group. They would literally work till about 12.30, maybe 1 o'clock. They got ambitious. Go to a restaurant and stay there the rest of the day. And I couldn't believe it. The first day this happened to me, I was with uh, my partner was a girl. And, and I was like, hey, it's like 2, 2.30. Shouldn't we get back? And she was like, oh, just sit down, talk, get something else to eat. I couldn't believe it. So the next day, uh, I just excused myself after lunch and said, I'm going to go work. You guys stay. And I thought I was kind of doing her a favor um, by doing some work. Well, I came back after a few hours to pick her up and she exploded on me. We had beepers and she was holding the beeper and uh, they would beep us back sometimes. And so she was really scared that, and there weren't, we didn't have cell phones, even 96. <laughs> and, uh, so she was afraid that we were going to get called back and I wouldn't know and I'd be off and we'd be separated and something would happen. Plus, I was making all of her friends look bad because we were going to come in and we say, hey, we did these 25 houses and they're going to look and everybody else just did 15 or whatever. And she exploded. We ended up getting just new partners. But I just remember that being the first test. I mean, I was literally the first job out of college of whether I was going to stand up and uh, work as for the Lord and not for men. Now, lest you think I always choose the right way, <laughs> and I'm the hero of every story. No, um, I remember my freshman year in college, I uh, had a girl I was dating who had some friends who wanted to go to the Texas A&M campus. I went to Baylor, and we kind of hated A&M. Um, and uh, they wanted to go steal the street signs. At, at Texas A&M, that's what you did. You put them up in your room. and So I jumped in. I had never done this before. We drove down to College Station, walked around, you know, stole a bunch of signs, and drove back home. And I didn't say a word. I didn't have the courage to say, I, I don't think this is right. We shouldn't be doing this. It takes courage to stand up and not conform to this world. Not conforming to this world should drive us to our knees in prayer and to the Bible for guidance. When we are reading the scriptures, we are reminded what Christ likeness looks like. And when we are in relationship, communion with God, God teaches us. But when we are cut off from that, yes, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, but it's so much easier to fall, and to be enticed by the world. And you know, there's no list I can give you. I always struggle with application. How, How specific do you make your sermon applications? I could give you a list of the ways I think you shouldn't conform. I mean, certainly the Scriptures have the fruit of the Spirit. That's a good place to start. And the Sermon on the Mount... 
But I don't want to give you what I do. I mean, for example, Catherine, I don't have cable. Just because I know, well, first of all, there's no time. <laughs> I would never read a book or spend time with my kids. I'd just be flipping the channels. But I know that's something that would conform me to the world. And I, but I'm not saying that does it for you. There may be things that you need to reevaluate in your life. Ask God. Find out His priorities. We all are tempted in different ways. And but we need to go to Him and say, Lord, how can I keep from being conformed to this world? 1 John 1, 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I told you I was going to stay negative most of the time. A little bit of hope there. But I want you to raise your right hand. I'm not going to make you stand up like Jed did. If you're new, you don't have to do this. But um, raise your right hand, everybody that's normally here, and repeat after me. I promise to come back next week for the sermon or get a tape so that I can understand how to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. There you go, Dave. <laughs> Set you up. You're going to have a big audience. Congregation. Let's stand for our closing prayer.